If you have a Bible, would you turn to John chapter 20? John chapter 20. We're going we're gonna to hang out in the resurrection for one more Sunday. And uh, I want to share some things with you. My hope is, and, and I, I don't know how long you've been to church here, but um, in a way, one of the things that I want to do, <laughs> this is not good for my job security. One of the things that I'm trying my best to do is to make me unnecessary. And the reason I say that is because my desire for you is that you don't come to church and listen to me preach uh, for your relationship with God. Like I, my hope for you is that you develop a relationship with God outside of, of my teaching. And if, if my teaching does anything, it, it just pushes you more into studying the Bible, more into knowing Jesus. I, I really don't want to make this about, I'm, I'm like this source and this well of information and revelation unless you come to church and hear from me you you don't have it man i i want you to know god for yourself and if i can help you know him then then maybe i'm necessary but but unnecessary in the sense that you, you don't you don't need me to be your source of revelation you have a relationship with god where you can study the scripture and know him for yourself and for your family you know, the Bible teaches that you're the priests of your home. You, you, you need to lead your home in God's word. You need to lead your home in prayer and devotion and understanding of the scripture. And if I can help you do that, that's what I feel like I'm called to do. John chapter 20, I love, I love the way John describes this scene at the resurrection. And, and I wonder if... If when John gets to heaven, God's going to have this conversation and be like, John, like, buddy, like, there was just a little ad-libbing going on to what the Spirit was revealing. Because you'll notice some things in this chapter that I don't think are actually necessary, but John kind of throws them in there. Let's just read it. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. John 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, what about Peter, bro? Like, <laughs> He keeps referring to himself as the other disciple, but we all know who he's talking about, bro. This is... <sighs> he said, he said, so they said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I just feel like John's ad-libbing like just a little bit. He's just like. <laughs> so the Bible says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head and the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first apparently <laughs> also went inside 
he saw and believed. But look what the Bible says here in parentheses. It says they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They believed, but they didn't understand the Scripture. That's interesting, isn't it? They believed, but they didn't understand. There's a man that comes to Jesus, and he needs Jesus to perform a miracle. And Jesus said, if you only believe, he said, I believe, help my unbelief. There are going to be things that as we walk with God, we believe about him. and We believe him, but we don't understand. And I'm praying today that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you can begin to understand. I love it because as Jesus is leaving, the Bible says, then he opened up their eyes so they could understand the scripture. I love it that Jesus loves us when we don't understand, but he doesn't leave us in our lack of understanding. Come on, is there anybody who just wants to put your hands together and say, God, I thank you that you are not the author of confusion, but you are the God of peace. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray over these next few moments, you would speak clearly to us. Thank you that you want us to leave here with a greater understanding. We appreciate that, and we're open to it. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said amen. So the Bible there says they believed, but they didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I'm going to just go through some reasons that Jesus rose from the dead just for a moment. And then I want to get into five reasons why I came today. Five ways, I believe, that we can understand the scriptures better. The Bible teaches us here that Jesus rose from the dead and the disciples, they go in and the disciples uh, were familiar with sacrifice in the Bible. They were familiar with the old covenant and how that an animal had to be sacrificed and the priest would go in, the animal would be sacrificed and their sins would be forgiven. But then a year later, they would have to repeat the same custom over and over again, year after year. So they were used to sacrifices dying but they had never seen a sacrifice raised from the dead. They had never seen an animal come back from what Jesus has come back from. So they don't understand. They understand sacrifice. They understand atonement. They understand forgiveness of sin. But they don't understand justification. The Bible teaches us in Romans 4.25, the Bible says, Paul writing there says, He was delivered over to death for our sins, but he was raised to life for our justification. So let me give you just a few thoughts, and I'm, gonna ha I'm just going to lay a little groundwork here. First of all, I've said this before, but I want to say this to you again because there's so many new people here. I want to say to you, Jesus did not come so that God could love us. John 3.16 teaches us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came into the world because God loves us. 
Jesus didn't even come into the earth so that God could just forgive our sin. Because even in the old covenant, God was forgiving sin. And Jesus, in his ministry life, also forgave sin. In Mark chapter 2, a group of friends takes their friend up on the top of this roof of a building that Jesus is teaching in of a house. And they open it up and they drop him in. And in part of the conversation Jesus has with the man, he looks at him and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And all of the people around look, who is this that he forgives sins? In Luke chapter 7, verse 48 and 49, Jesus looks at a woman and he says, Your sins are forgiven you. Wow. That's interesting. So if Jesus didn't come to make God love us, but he came because God loves us, and Jesus didn't really even come so that God could forgive our sin. Why did Jesus... Jesus came to die, but Jesus came to do more than just die. Jesus came to defeat death. So this is what Hebrews says about this moment that we've been talking about for the past two weeks. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 through 20, uh, 24 through 28, it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Jesus, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the temple where they would offer sacrifice. They're saying Jesus didn't come to something that man built. Jesus didn't even offer himself in a temple that man built. Jesus truly offered himself to heaven. Watch this. And what they had built in the earth was a representation of what we will see in heaven. And so Jesus came. He didn't come to just appear to us, but he came to appear to God after the resurrection for us. So it says, now God appears for us. Now Jesus appears for us in God's presence. Verse 25 says, nor did he offer himself again and again. Remember, I just told you they would have to do those sacrifices every year for forgiveness of sin. He, didn't, he doesn't have to do it over and over again. He, because the priest would enter the holy place, the natural man-built holy place, not with his blood, but the blood of some animal. So the Bible says Jesus didn't enter a natural temple built with human hands with someone else's blood. Jesus entered his temple, the presence of God himself, not with some animal's blood, but his own blood. So he doesn't have to do it over and over again. And then in verse 26, otherwise, if, if it would have been someone else's blood, Christ would have had to suffer many times. If it would have been a natural temple, he would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has also appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people were destined to die once and after that face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once. Watch this. To take away sin. He, so Jesus didn't just die to forgive my sin, to cover my sin. He died to take away my sin. When John the Baptist saw Jesus and he was looking at his disciples, he looked at his disciples. He goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus did more than just forgive my sin in his death and resurrection. He took my sin away. And the Bible says, and he will appear a second time. And when he comes back, he's not coming back to bear sin, but he's coming back to bring salvation to all of those 
who are waiting on him. Anybody in the room waiting on him? I'm, that makes me excited because you don't have to fear the end because if you're waiting on him, he's not coming to judge you in your sin. He's coming to deliver unto you the salvation that was promised you. I feel like somebody should get excited this morning. He's coming to bring salvation. Hebrews 10 and 4 said it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So Jesus took my sin away. That's why the resurrection is important. Romans said, Paul said in Romans, he said, he rose for your justification. So when Jesus is teaching before his death, and you see Jesus heal someone, or they throw the woman who's caught in adultery before Jesus, and she's standing there guilty. We caught her in the act. She's guilty. And Jesus, first of all, it's, it's interesting that these people brought her to Jesus, trying to catch Jesus in some, like, fine print of the law of mistake when it's like you're talking to the writer the author of the law about the law so they're like Jesus the law says and Jesus is like I'll I'll, I'll talk to you about the law you won't talk about the law we can talk about the law I'm the author of the law so the Bible says Jesus with his own finger bends over and starts to write in the ground. It doesn't say sand. A lot of people say, well, Jesus wrote in the sand. It doesn't say sand. If you, if you understand the construct of the temple, Jesus was in the temple, the Bible says. The construct of the temple was not, the, the ground wasn't dirt. The ground was stone. So when Jesus writes in the ground, he's not writing in dirt. He's doing what he did in Exodus when the law was given. He's writing in the stone. So no wonder they don't tell you what he wrote because what he wrote isn't important. It's what he's doing. So they're looking at it and he stands up and he says, oh, by the way, the author of the law wants to talk now. And he says, he that is without sin. Oh, you remember that part? Cast the first stone so from the oldest to the youngest why the oldest to the youngest because the oldest was more familiar with the story of the ten commandments and so they're looking at this moment like oh the law is here the writer the author is here the one who wrote it in stone is here and here jesus is writing in stone again and the Bible says they drop their stones and they walk away. And he looks at the woman who's been accused and he, he tells her to stand up and he says, hey, look around. Where are your accusers? And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. And then he tells her, this is what I'm trying to get to. He goes, go and sin no more. That's interesting. Go and sin no more. Well, after Jesus dies is resurrected and the writers of the new testament are writing post resurrection paul the writer of galatians ephesians peter 
John, John tells us, if you sin, Jesus said, don't sin. John says, if you sin, well, what's, what's the difference? The difference is the resurrection. Jesus is telling her, don't go sin anymore because this forgiveness only lasts until your next sin. John is speaking from a revelation of the resurrection. Now if you sin, he says, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is like, don't go sin anymore because there's no advocate yet. I'm trying to help you today. Because I, I, just, I just feel like there's, there's like... The excitement around the resurrection is in the, yeah, we believe it happened, but I don't think the excitement that we have about the resurrection is always based in understanding why it had to happen. Faith reveals to me what happened. The Spirit of God reveals to me why it had to happen. Faith tells me why I have it. The Spirit of God Tells me what I have. Ah, how, can I, how can I help you before I move on? What I'm trying to say to you is that the resurrection changed everything. I'm trying to tell you that it's good news. It's not good news if he stays in the grave. Oh, 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 he died for my sins. Well, if he just stays in the grave, then all that's forgiven is my past. But if he gets out of the grave, then my future is forgiven too. So that's why I'm, I'm like, there should be just a little bit more excitement about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Because not only am I forgiven today, I'm forgiven tomorrow. I'm forgiven five years from now. I'm forgiven for the rest of my life. And because he rose from the dead, when he returns, he's coming back for me and you with salvation. All right, I need to move on. I have a little bit more time than last week, but, but I still need to move on. 1 Corinthians 2 and 12. Let me, give you, let me give you a few verses here. The apostle Paul writes, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So Jesus is constantly speaking to his disciples about I have to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. He says, I have been with you, but he will be in you. So the Spirit of God is is necessary for the believer. It's necessary for you to be convicted of your sin, it's necessary for you to see and it be revealed to you that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's, he's necessary. And, 
And so Paul, Paul, is, Paul is teaching people after he has encountered the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent. And he's revealing to them the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So he says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Remember when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says in John chapter 16, verse 3, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Spirit of God. First, we see the Spirit of God in the beginning. Just like Jesus isn't some new aspect of God when he appears on the scene. The Bible says in John, it says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It's not talking about your Bible. When the, when the Bible says the Word of God, it's not talking about your Bible it's, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. The words of God would be Scripture. The Word of God is Jesus. So the Bible tells us in the beginning, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were all a part of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John tells us that Jesus was there in the beginning. That the wor- and, and then God says, let there be light. And so when God speaks, that's the Word. That's Jesus. Jesus wasn't created by God. Jesus is God. Right? The Spirit of God wasn't created by God. The Spirit of God is God. So in the beginning, you have God creating by His Word, Jesus. And the Bible says there that the Holy Spirit's just hovering. He's hovering. Another word for hovering is the word brooding, like a chicken sits on on an egg to hatch it. So in other words, God speaks and the spirit brings to life what the word speaks. Okay? So this is why the spirit is in, is important. They didn't have the spirit yet, so no wonder they're constantly not understanding. His disciples are constantly going to Jesus like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't get it. And Jesus is even like, man, I'd love to talk to you about heavenly stuff, but you are having a problem with parables. You're having a problem with seed being sown in the ground. So he's like, I'm just going to leave you with this, and then there's going to come a day. The Spirit's going to come, and when the Spirit comes, he's going to remind you of all of those parables I told you, and he's going to open up the Scripture, and he's going to show you why I was saying what I was saying. So it's like, we, we believe, but man, we don't understand. I'll follow you anywhere, but I don't even know really why I'm following you sometimes. <laughs> this is the role of the Spirit. The Spirit is the animator of the Word of God. Order comes out of the chaos because of the Spirit. Life comes out of death. Because of the Spirit, God creates by His Word and the Spirit animates it, brings meaning to creation. Job said this. Job said in Job 32 and 8, he said, The breath of the Almighty gives understanding. So if you're in the room today and you're like, God, I don't understand. 
whether it's what's happening in your life or whether it's something you're reading in the Bible, you don't have to stay in your lack of understanding. The Spirit of God can reveal. New Testament, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can know what God has in store. But by His Spirit, He reveals His plans to those who love Him. You don't, you don't have to live the rest of your life not understanding God. It's fine to not understand sometimes, but you don't have to stay there. I'm just telling you that a relationship with the Spirit can open your eyes to what God is doing and why He is doing what He is doing. He wants to help you. Hmm. So relationship with the Spirit. Let me just give you a couple things about relationship with the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14, Paul writes and he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And this is where it gets strange because we're like, how do we have fellowship with a spirit? Right? Come on, you don't have to act like you're, you're, you're like visiting the heavens and you're just like, the heavens are open over your home all the time and you read the Bible and it just like, wow, it just makes so much sense. And like you're going through something right now and you're like, I totally know why I'm going through this. I totally get why I just understand it all. No, no, it's, it's, it's okay to not understand. There, there's some strange language here. Fellowship with the Spirit. Like, that sounds weird. Can I just be honest? Like, what are you doing, Rob? I'm just fellowshipping with Spirit. Okay, I'll let, you, I'll let you be, bro. <laughs> you can keep that. So it's strange. It's like, how do we have fellowship with the Spirit? I'm going to give you just a couple of ways. Acts 4. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible says, After they had prayed together, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. In Acts chapter 2, they're gathered in the upper room. The Spirit of God is poured out in that room. They come out of that room declaring the goodness of God, speaking in other tongues. But what is a common theme of spirit encounters is the gathering of believers. You're like, the, the, for, for most of... The New Testament church, the book of Acts church, their encounters were public before they were ever private. They encountered together before they ever encountered on their own. And that's why I think coming to church, gathering with believers, getting people together in your home and just praying. It doesn't say they got together and they had a Bible study for six weeks. It just says they got together and they prayed and the Spirit of God showed up in the room. And when the room shook, it was like, okay, maybe we just met God. Right? There should be to the Spirit of God a tangible, felt experience. 
should be. When people were filled with the Holy Spirit, the, it changed how they talked. It changed how they walked. When, Paul, when, when Peter is explaining what happened in the upper room, he's like, guys, these dudes aren't drunk. I'm sorry, they're, they're, they're falling all over themselves and they're speaking in tongues. He's like, but believe me, it's not happy hour yet. It's early in the morning. It's not like we're at Bristol and we're getting drunk before the race even started. No, we're, this, this, is, this is not what you think. This is what, this is what Joel talked about. He said, in last days, my spirit will be poured out and, and you will be able to know you experience the spirit of God. And the gathering is so important. That's why it's so important for you to come to church. Because what we just went through with worship was, was, not, just, was not just emotional. It, it wasn't just feelings. It, it was the spirit of God encountering my life, bringing clarity to my situation, bringing hope to my downcast heart, healing me, fixing me, delivering me. It, maybe you came in a funk, but in worship, God was able to by his spirit encounter you. And now there's a different joy that's in your heart. Maybe there's a different perspective. Maybe while you were, maybe while you were lifting your hands, God spoke something to you and you came in this place and you needed a word from God. And now you have a word from God. That's an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You're like, Robbie, I'm not very spiritual. Did you, have you felt anything since you were here? That's not emotionalism. That's not just a, a hair standing up on your arm. You can believe that that is the power of God encountering your life. And I had to, I had to come to a point in my life where I was just like, God, I thank you for the gathering because the gathering is where I, I encounter you. It's where I, I experience you. Oh, yeah, you can totally encounter him on your own, in your house, in your car. But, man, don't miss out on a relationship that's offered to you in the gathering. Psalm 73, the, the psalmist writes this. He says, he, he's upset in Psalm 73. He's like, the wicked are always prospering. He's like, bad people Good stuff is always happening to bad people. My enemies are always gloating. He's just, he's mad and he's frustrated and he can't understand. He's like, God, why does this happen? And then what the Bible says here in Psalm 73, 16, he goes, but when I thought on how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. What life was throwing at me seemed overwhelming it was a burden too much for me to carry too much for me to handle it was making me tired it was making me anxious it was filling me with fear and I didn't understand it so I went to the house of God he said and I went to the house of God and he said in the house of God I discerned their end he said I found out that they may be prospering now but it's going to end a whole lot different than they think it's going to end. I might be down now, but they don't realize in the end, I will be up. I, I might be overwhelmed now, but they don't realize I've discerned the end. In the end, I do have the victory. In the end, Jesus is victorious. In the end, God has 
one. And so that's what coming to the house of God does for me. I get around all of y'all and I realize I'm not in this by myself. And we might be overwhelmed, but we are not defeated. We might be overwhelmed, but we are not losers. We might be overwhelmed, but we are not lost. <laughs> so he said, I discern their end. So I, I want a relationship with the Spirit. How do I do it? I, I, I get in the sanctuary of God. Remember, John, or in John, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you. How, how, do I, how do I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Remain teachable. He's a teacher. And it's the, it's the attitude of a student that draws out the teacher. If, 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 if any of you are teachers, your favorite students are the ones who want to learn. You, see, there's a teacher. Your favorite students are the ones who want to learn. It's those little punks that come in there and they think you have nothing to teach me. My, the thing that just rubs me sideways with a child is when they look at you and they're like, you are not my daddy. I've said this before. I don't want to be your daddy. What I'm, isn't it funny, our response to anyone who's trying to teach us is, you're not my daddy. That's why a lot of people don't come to church, because they don't like pastors, because it's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit's like, I, I'm a teacher. And I can't teach you if you're unwilling to learn. So if I want a relationship with the Spirit of God, I've got to remain teachable. Huh. And there's, there's, a, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit teaching you information and giving you revelation. In, uh, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has spent basically an entire lake and he's been teaching their entire day teaching by the lake and um, after he gets finished teaching by the lake he looks at his disciples and he says hey let's go to the other side all day he's been giving them information and in this information <laughs> is where he teaches them about the seed and the ground and he's like the word of God is going to come to you but there are going to be birds that try to steal it. The, the word of God is going to come to you. And the elements are going to try to destroy what I've planted. The word of God is going to come to you. And thorns, the pain of life, is going to try to choke it out. He's like, so make sure your ground is receptive. Because the gospel is received. It's not earned. It's received. So... He's, he's teaching, and then he looks at his disciples, and he says, hey, let's go to the other side. They get in the boat. Storm comes up. And Jesus is like, let's see how they deal with a test on a word I just gave them. I gave them a word. Let's go to the other side. Let's see if that word gets in their soil or do the elements rob and steal 
the word. So a storm comes up. And the Bible says Jesus is sleeping. And the Bible is very descriptive of this storm. Jesus is in the stern of the boat. This is not a yacht. It's not a giant. He's, he's not covered in this moment. Jesus is actually sleeping, not just through the sound of the wind and the sound of the rain. Jesus is soaking wet asleep on this boat. And these guys are running around, freaking out. What are we going to do? He's sleeping. Somebody's like, wake the guy up. <laughs> just wake him up. So they wake Jesus up. Jesus gets up and he's like, he doesn't even address them. Doesn't even look at them, talk to them. He addresses the storm. Because when your faith is immature, God has to calm everything down before he can talk to you. Mature faith relies on the word we received before we got into the storm. What did Jesus say? He said, let's go to the other side. If Jesus says, we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. So they weren't mature enough. That's why he rebukes the storm and then he turns to them. He's like, why in the world do you still have no faith wow so in other words Jesus is like teaching all day on on something and then they immediately start to experience the very thing that he's talking about and they're like losing their mind have you ever like gone to church and you've been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Monday comes and you're like, you forget everything you heard on Sunday. Like, I, I don't even remember going to church Sunday. This day is driving me crazy. Jesus spends all day teaching beside the lake. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, now let's get in it. What happens on a Sunday morning and what happens when you sit and you open your Bible and you read it is God teaching on the side of the lake. What happens when you leave this building, what happens when you get up from your coffee and your Bible study and you go to work, that's the lake. So... <laughs> God's trying to teach you, there's a reason I gave you this word before you ever went on this journey. And I need this word to get in you so that while you're on this journey, you don't freak out because of the storm. I already told you, you were gonna make it through. And today there are a lot, a lot of people who are, who are in freak out mode because they didn't carry with them the word that he already spoke to them. You, you're, you're waiting for God to calm the situation down. And then you'll be like, okay, okay, maybe, maybe we'll make it through now. 
you're waiting on the, the report to change until you're like, okay, now maybe you're waiting until everything kind of gets through and, and everything's accepted and, and they say yes before you really trust. And God's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to have a relationship with me that just, it needs me to just calm everything down in your life. I want you to have a relationship with me that when you get into the middle of something, you remember what I said to you when you were standing on the shore way before you ever got into this storm. Remember, I told you, let's go to the other side. Hmm. So there's, there's information and then there's revelation. Revelation is revealed on the lake. Revelation doesn't come when you're on the shore. Revelation comes on the lake because when they wake him up, they're like, teacher, teacher, because that's all they know. Teacher, teacher, don't you care? And then once the story is ended, they look at each other and they go, who is this guy? Could it be that right now you're in the middle of something that's not going to kill you? It's just going to reveal to you something about God that you didn't know before? And the whole reason you're in this right now is because God wants to take you from just information about Him to a, to a life of revelation of who He really is. I, I, not just like what my neighbor said and, and my pastor said and my friend said this about God, but no, no, no. I know who God is because I've been on the lake with God. I've been in the storm with God. And all I knew about him before was teacher, teacher. But now I'm looking around like, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Let me give you five ways to understand the scripture better. Number one, everything in context. Everything in context. How many times have you heard someone say, well, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And you're like, but, but bro, you're not capable of lifting that much weight. Right? So we'd have the strength. You remember back in the day when, when church was like really creepy in the, in the 80s and 90s? You remember like back when we used to have like colored, like red things over our microphones and like plants all across the stage? And like, and you remember like the power teams? Anybody remember the power teams? Those like steroided up ex-convicts who got saved, right? And they'd get up on the stage and they'd be like tearing phone books apart and they'd, they, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And they'd be like, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me and they'd rip a phone book in half. And you're like, that's not even what the Bible's talking about. You're like out in the parking lot, you're trying to lift the back end of your car. I could do all things through Christ. And you pull your back and you're like, but God, The context of Philippians 4, 13 is Paul is talking about his ability to be content. He's like, I've, I've had a lot 
and I've had a little. I've learned how to be content. And the proper translation is not I can do all things. The proper translation is Paul says, I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. We put it on t-shirts and we stamp our agenda next to it. I can do all things through Christ. Well, what if God isn't strengthening you for that? And you're just going to pull a muscle doing that in context. Let's put the Bible in context. What I mean is just like include the surrounding scriptures at least. The second thought, the finished work of Jesus. Remember, they, didn't, they believed, but they didn't understand. They didn't understand he had to rise from the dead. Everything goes back to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Everything should be put in the light of the finished work of Jesus. And if it doesn't pass the test of the finished work of Jesus, it doesn't matter. Anything you think you know about God that you can't find in the person of Jesus, throw it out. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Everything points to the sun. Robbie, do I, do, what, about, what, about, what, about, what about works for salvation? Jesus said it's finished. What, what about my effort? Do I have to keep this, these rules and these regulations for it to be? It's, Jesus said it's finished. It's the finished work of Jesus. You take every verse, every story, and you put it in light of what Jesus has done. And if it doesn't pass the test, Well, what about the rituals and what about the ordinances and what about the festivals and what about Jesus fulfilled all of that? What about the law? Jesus fulfilled it. What, 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 about, what, about, what about Passover? Jesus is Passover. What, what about Jesus fulfilled it all? It all. Third thought, the purpose of the story or the scripture. Take Galatians, for example. Galatians is written primarily to Gentiles who had come to Jesus under Paul's ministry and these Gentile believers were being intimidated by Jewish believers to fulfill the law. And in particular, they were talking about the dietary laws, the customs, and the one in particular they were really concerned about was circumcision. And these Gentiles were like, bro, I'm 48 years old. Eh? <laughs> that ship's already sailed, homie. <laughs> and Paul's like, we're good, we're good, we're good. Right? 
But here's the other thing. If you take Galatians and you try to beat down a Jewish believer with Galatians, a Jewish believer who still wants to take the Passover meal, who still wants to celebrate Jewish holidays, and you're like, that's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's not what Paul is saying either. Just like Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people. He, they were Hebrews. It's not a coffee shop in a church lobby. It's, it's a book written to Jewish people. And Paul is trying to convince them, hey, listen, all of that stuff is fine, but you don't need any of that stuff for salvation. If, if you still want to have a Passover meal and you still want to celebrate this holiday, that's cool. But don't try to act like any of that stuff saves you from your sin. Right? But, and if you try to apply the book of Hebrews to Gentiles, it's not purposed for Gentiles. You try to take it and, and you try to apply that. to Paul's not talking to Gentile believers. Can Gentile believers learn something from it? Yes. Can Jewish people learn something from Galatians? Yes. But I have to understand, I have to understand the purpose of the writing, the audience that he's writing to. And also, I, I need to understand genre. Like there's a difference between law and letters. There's a difference between promises and prophecy. There's a difference between principles and promises. The book of Proverbs is a book of principles. It's not a book of promises. For instance, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, uh, raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. It's not a promise. It's a principle. I know plenty of people who have raised their children to know God, and their children don't know God. So we've got to understand, or we'll, or we'll read the Bible in... And, and think that one, one thing is something it isn't. Proverbs is a book of principles, not promises. For, for instance, salvation is a promise that God fulfills, not me. I, it's not my job to get myself into heaven. That's his job. My role is to pray that heaven would invade the earth. That's my role. There's the difference between something being prescriptive and something being descriptive. Like one of those would be a description is that uh, Solomon had a lot of wives. That's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Come on, somebody. <laughs> There's a difference in the Bible when you're talking about gifts and fruit. Gifts are given. Fruit is developed out of relationship. So I got I to gotta know the purpose of the scripture. And let me give you this fourth thought. Don't just take my word for it. Don't you ever, don't you ever use my name. Don't ever go out there, you know, and you're fighting with your spouse. Well, Robbie said... you do that. Don't you make your spouse hate me. <laughs> Robbie said, no, 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 no. You don't live your life off of what Robbie said. You live your life off of what God said. 
And I would encourage you like the Bereans, Paul talks about these Bereans in the book of Acts. Luke writes about them in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So if they're hearing Paul and like, eh, I don't know, bro. I'm going to go check this out for myself. Then you should probably do the same thing to Robbie. You should probably do the same thing to the TV preacher you listen to. You should probably check to see if there's any Bible about writing him a check for Psalm 77, 7 blessing and the anointing oil from the... Probably check the scriptures. So he said they would go and they would check them. What Paul says is true. And if Paul says the truth, watch what happens in verse 12. As a result, many of them believed and did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. If what I'm saying is true, it will not just affect you. It will affect the people closest to you. Number five, obey what you understand. Obedience is the key to more revelation. It's like, God, I want to know more. And God's like, I told you something you still haven't done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is like, man, I'd love to move on to something else, but you are all, you're infants in the faith. You're too worldly, he says. I can't, I can't move on to the meat of God's word. I have to give you milk because you're infants. You're, you're babies in the kingdom. You're too worldly. And, and people have come to me very often. They've been like, well, what does God do with worldly Christians? He treats them like babies. You think for a moment God's going to cast a baby out? You're not keeping all the commands. You're not dressing right. You're not acting right. You're not talking right. You're not doing all the right things. Get out of here. No, God's like, they're an infant. They just need to grow up. They don't need to be kicked out. And too many of y'all are, are too worried about who's going to heaven and who isn't. When, where's the line that somebody crosses when they've done too many bad things, once they got saved and they're not going to make it? Paul describes worldly people that are Christians as infants. He said they just need to mature. Don't give up on them. Keep feeding them. But make sure you're feeding them the right thing. They're just immature. Obey what you understand. In Jeremiah... God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, I've got a word for you. Go down to the potter's house. And when you get there, I'll give you this word. Well, Jeremiah's like, I don't, I don't like potter's house. I'm not going. You can give me that word right here. I'm not moving. <laughs> Some of us are like that. It's like God said, go down to the potter's house. And we're like, God, where's the word? You're not at the potter's house. You mean Dallas, Texas, where T.D. Jakes is the preacher? No, no, no. I'm just... In other words, sometimes God is waiting to give you a new word 
and after you obey the first word. So don't be frustrated this morning because you're like, man, I, the, the, you know, Revelation, the book of Revelation, I don't even understand it yet. When God's probably just like, hey, let's, let's get you, let's get you out of the club every weekend and we can talk about the book of Revelation after. Let's, let, let's work on, <laughs> let's work on you not giving yourself to every guy who swipes right. Come on, let's just, let's figure out, let's get Tinder off of your phone and then I'll open up some revelation to, hey, 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 stop flirting with your boyfriend from high school on Facebook and I'll pro- You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we're so mad. We're like, God, you're not. It's like, ah, God's just like, I just, I'm, just, I, I'm dealing with you like, a, like an infant because you're still immature. I mean, those, those are five ways we can understand the scripture better. There's more, but I'm gonna leave you with those and I'm gonna let you go. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for your word. I thank you that you desire to reveal to us your plan. No eye seen, no ear has heard, no mind can know what God has in store, but by your spirit, you reveal your plan. So even though I can't see it with my natural eyes, my natural ears, my natural vision, God, you wanna do something so deep in me spiritually that you reveal to me, not just that you are alive, but why you are alive and what that means for my freedom. I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. We stay on your feet this morning with me.